0: Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to advancing options and providing hope for people living with cancer. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Dr. Anish Chagpar and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about the role of nutrition in cancer survivorship with Maura Harrigan. Maura is an oncology research registered dietitian and project manager at the Yale School of Public Health. And Dr. Gore is a professor of internal medicine and hematology at the Yale School of Medicine and director of hematologic malignancies at Smilo Cancer Hospital. Let's see. Oncology research registered dietitian. Is there a special kind of registration for
1: research dietitians or...?
2: Uh, yes, their specialty training for oncology nutrition. It's Is actually that a right? board certification.
1: I did Every know five that. years. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's that's. I had no idea. So how long have you been in this survivorship nutrition business?
2: I started with the survivorship clinic when it began back in 2006. So uh-huh. it's been over 12 years, and I have to say I've learned a lot from the survivors who come to clinic about their unique nutritional needs as treatments change and emerge and their nutrition needs change over time. You know, we hear a
1: lot about, um, you see on TV, the commercials, I'm a survivor, I'm a survivor, which is really, really wonderful that cancer patients are surviving. We also know that some people... You know, cancers unfortunately do come back and, and stuff. But so you're working with people at which stage? Are these people who are like long term survivors? Or are these people who are just gotten through their treatment and they're surviving right now? That's all that counts? Or what's the population in the survivorship clinic?
2: Well, we take all comers, but they have to have completed their active treatment. So they're done with surgery, chemotherapy, radiation. So once they're done, they're welcome to come to clinic. You don't need an MD referral. You can self refer yourself.
1: I see. So it doesn't matter if you're a bona fide cured patient. That doesn't. It's not about that.
2: No, not at all. We see people one year out, five years out. We have people come who are twenty years out from their diagnosis.
1: I see. And and what about patients who have completed their treatment and they have persistent cancer, but it's stable? Are they welcome to the clinic as well? They're living with
2: cancer. Absolutely, uh-huh. and we emphasize the living with cancer and how to best manage it through nutrition and exercise by nourishing your body and supporting your body.
1: Well, that's really cool. You know, I uh, I was a Yale Medical School student, of <laughs> graduate school alumnus, woo, a Yale <laughs> Medical School graduate, <laughs> full disclosure, and this was back. In the late 70s to 80s, so you can imagine we were in the post-post-Post-Vietnam, I would say, generation, and we thought we were pretty alternative, and there were a lot of feelings that, quote, nutrition was not being taught, and so students would organize alternative nutrition classes and stuff. Do you think that's changed over the years
2: I hate to say it, but not much.
1: (laughs) I was worried you were going to say that.
2: It's true. I think the power of nutrition is overlooked in uh, the treatment of uh, cancer. And yet here you
1: are at a major cancer center in a bona fide recognized clinic that presumably has cancer center support, and you're doing nutrition. So that's a little different, right?
2: Yes. As far as being a registered dietitian, I mean, I feel I'm finally in a position where I could really use the power of nutrition in counseling patients. So I, I've been given the opportunity through the clinic. So it, it really is a wonderful place uh, for survivors to come and to kind of, you know, rework how they get through their day in terms of how they eat and also how they exercise. And... What we like to say to patients is, you know, nutrition and exercise really is your contribution to your care. Sure, it's something you can control. You can control because they often feel this loss of control with the diagnosis of cancer. And they have this whole superb treatment team around them of experts, um, but they still feel a loss of control. Whereas the nutrition piece and the exercise piece can empower them and it actually helps them feel better
1: no, I bet it does. But is there really more to it than just saying eat a you know healthy diet or make sure you get 2,000 calories? Or I mean what's, what's the kind of – I mean I, I, I'm not being demeaning or diminishing. I really don't know. Uh, people ask me and I, I kind of feel like, well, if you're eating a pretty healthy diet and you're not losing weight and you're, the various proteins we measure in the blood and stuff are holding up, then you're probably doing OK. These are the people who are in active treatment that I'm thinking of.
2: Um, there, There's a lot to it. There's the art of counseling because everyone is different. So as a dietitian, uh, we look at the person and where they're at and their living conditions and uh, their stage of life. So let's say, for example, I have two women. Uh, who were diagnosed with breast cancer. But one woman is a young mother with young children at home and is on a tight food budget. Mm. The other woman is recently widowed and living alone and has kind of lost interest in eating and cooking. So that's two, same same cancer, but two different people with very different sets of nutritional needs and how I counsel them.
1: I see. and And even if at the bottom line you're just minimally hoping to get them to a healthy diet with an adequate caloric intake, the way you'd have to approach that might be very different in those two settings, right?
2: Yes. And it's really the the giving them the skill set, the how to do it that's important. So it's it goes deeper than just saying, eat, eat a better diet. It's like, this is how you can do it given your circumstances. Right.
1: No. And, I, and again, I did not mean to be in any way simplifying it or dumbing it
2: down. I was just trying to understand. And... And the focus really is not so much on calories per se, but on nutrients. So you really want to make sure they're nourishing their body and really tapping into the power of good eating, which is really based in plant foods. So how
1: do you, how do you approach it? Do you start with a history, of like what do you like to eat? You find if you're like a potato chip. Is your favorite food group? Or <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, we call that a diet history, and usually the way I approach it is say, just walk me through your day eating wise, uh-huh. and I get a sense of what what's their style of eating. Right. Do they do they cook, or do they not cook? Do they eat out? Are they a fast food person? Um, so you get a sense of where uh, what their day is like, and start from there. Right, and it,
1: and if somebody has a lifestyle that. Most of us would probably recognize right away that it's not optimal, a lot of fried foods, fast food, processed foods, for whatever reason, not to be judgmental, just what we've learned is not great. I mean, I would imagine that it can't be that easy to re-educate or redirect such patients. I don't know. What do you find?
2: It is a challenge, and I tend to approach it as a negotiation.
1: Aha! (laughs) Give me an example.
2: Uh, Oh, well, let's say there's someone with a very high simple sugar intake, mm-hmm. mostly through beverages. Let's say a lot of soda, a lot of sports drinks, um, kind of just going approaching that one piece of it. And I try to go for the biggest bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. So I say, you know, the place I would start in terms of... You know getting you to a better place nutritionally was really to kind of trim back on these added sugars that you have in your drinks and then often, if I explain the connection to you know how their body works and the effect it has on their body and how we're trying to minimize that, uh, you know I try to get them to buy into it. So I usually look for the biggest change that will give the biggest benefit and help them feel better quickly, and that kind of starts them on the road to further improvements.
1: Well, you know, that's really amazing because uh, in my previous place of employment, different university, um, and it may be different now because I left there five years ago, uh, we didn't have this kind of service. We, of course, had nutritionists, but I had long-term survivors of leukemia who had Adult lifelong problems with morbid obesity, for example, and they still had such problems, right? And um, and even trying to give them, just as a physician, simple counseling, simple ideas, uh, you know. And then they come back three months later, g doc, you know, I tried that and I've gained another five pounds. And as somebody who struggles with weight myself, I, you know, I'm certainly very sensitive to it. But it's it's hard. It's hard to. Uh, maintain a lifestyle change
2: it is hard food to do. has so
1: much psychological and habitual i don't know for me anyway
2: and let's not forget food's pleasurable well, so yeah, we, we don't too. want we don't want to lose sight of that um, and everyone eats and uh, we celebrate with food so we don't want to lose sight of that but weight management is difficult and lifelong weight management is a challenge given this environment we live in right. where we don't move much and there's a lot of food out there that's high in fat, high in sugar, when you eat out large portions. So we're kind of up against an environment that promotes weight gain. Mm-hmm. So I try to point that out to people that to really man, do kind of manage your weight, job one is prevention of further weight gain. Just it's really navigating the environment and giving them a skill set to do that. Um, but the first thing is really to set a realistic weight loss goal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much mm-hmm. to get a benefit. So as little as 2% improves heart health. So for a 200-pound person, that's four pounds.
1: Right, which is like seems like nothing when you think about it.
2: And when you present that to someone, yes, they're like, oh, I can do that.
1: But you know they're not going to be satisfied with that, Right.
2: Well, I try to convince them that they, <laughs> good enough. yeah, that this is good enough, and it's important to keep it off. And then if you could get to five percent, which is again for a two hundred pound person, ten pounds, right. still not a lot, not a lot, but doable and sustainable. And what people say, well, I can do that. unless they say, well, okay, let's get to work. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is also debunking a lot of misinformation out there from the diet industry. Mm-hmm. Um, So we're really trying to promote a healthy lifestyle, which is healthy eating along with exercise on a daily basis.
1: Now, are most of your patients uh, in the survivorship clinic, are they mostly dealing with needing to gain or maintain weight because they've lost it because of their cancer? Or do you have obesity problems? Is it all across the board? What do you find?
2: It is all across the board. So it depends on the cancer and the treatments received. So. Let's say in head and neck cancers, the treatments can like throat cause... throat cancer, for example. Throat cancer mm-hmm. or mouth cancer. Um, the treatments can cause a substantial weight loss and then... People can't swallow,
1: and basically. And they can't
2: swallow. So that's a real challenge. How do you replenish your body uh, when you have difficulty swallowing? So there we do a lot of techniques where we alter the texture of foods mm. and educate people on how you can still eat nutrient-dense foods, but we make the texture soft and moist. So then they are able to swallow and uh, those foods and start to regain the weight.
1: But that doesn't sound very pleasant to be eating moist, soft foods, right?
2: Well, <laughs> we no, try. No, seriously.
1: To... There's aesthetics to eating too, right? There
2: is aesthetics, and I try to work with their favorite foods, right? And um, try to make it pleasurable, and also to create, encourage them to create a calm environment when they're eating, so they're not anxious about eating. Right? Will I choke? Exactly. And sometimes I even have to counsel family members to back off a little bit. I'm sure. Because their their concern is from a place of love. You're and not eating enough. Exactly. How are you going to
1: get better if you don't eat enough?
2: And then that increases the person's anxiety, which makes it harder for them to swallow. So, um, So there are lots of techniques to help encourage people who've lost a lot of weight and lost their appetite to kind of retrain their body to eat again, get their appetite back, get their taste back and enjoy eating again.
1: Well, that sounds like a a big challenge and super important, and I'm gonna wanna talk about it more in a minute, but right now, we're gonna take a short break for a medical minute.
0: Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, proud supporter of the many individuals and organizations who are working together to end cancer as a cause of death. Learn more about the Your Cancer movement at yourcancer.org this is a medical minute about smoking cessation there are many obstacles to face when quitting smoking as smoking involves the potent drug nicotine but it's a very important lifestyle change especially for patients undergoing cancer treatment quitting smoking has been shown to positively impact response to treatments decrease the likelihood that patients will develop second malignancies and increase rates of survival Tobacco treatment programs are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers and operate on the principles of the U.S. Public Health Service clinical practice guidelines. All treatment components are evidence-based and therefore all patients are treated with FDA-approved first-line medications for smoking cessation as well as smoking cessation counseling that stresses appropriate coping skills. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale
1: Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore. I'm joined tonight by my guest Maura Harrigan. We've been discussing cancer survivorship and the role of nutrition. Maura, one thing that I wanted to come back to uh, from our first half, um, uh, I found very fascinating. You kind of, kind of just threw it out that, as if everyone knows this, that you know basic. Basis for a healthy diet is plant-based nutrition. Tell me about that.
2: Yes. Well, I the power of nutrition really is in plant foods from Mother Nature and the colors of plant foods. And I know this sounds simplistic, but it's, it's a very effective teaching tool.
1: Okay. Give me an example.
2: So what I do is I, I tell people – and now this sounds, again, simple, but it's eat the rainbow in the course of your week. So you think of all the colors of the rainbow. I
1: got the orange. That's your sweet potatoes, <laughs> right?
2: Right. And you have your obvious greens, but you also have red, yellow, orange, purple, blue, white. So well, when maybe, you.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So think about it. If you're lacking those colors. What's blue? Blueberries?
1: Jelly. Oh, blueberries are good, yeah.
2: Or plums?
1: I'm not a big plum fan, but I see it, yeah.
2: But the idea that you capture all these colors in the course of your week, and when you look at the food you're eating, that meal, that snack, say, do I have any color here? Can I add a color? Now, what happens is there are compounds in the plant foods that create the colors, they're called phytonutrients, phyto meaning plants, and okay. there are hundreds of them. And they have very chemical sounding names like lutein, sulforaphane. I can't even remember them, but it's very but easy to- you know they're good, right? <laughs> I know they're good. And I know that the clusters of these phytonutrients create the color. So if you capture all these colors in your week, you've captured these hundreds of phytonutrients. These are the compounds that reduce inflammation in the body. Really? Yes. So the cornerstone of eating well is capturing your colors. The, it is the most simple, elegant teaching tool I have, and it resonates with people because food is visual.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: And people will say, you know, I look at food differently now. I think colors. And I shop by colors. I, I, you shop, you get frozen fruits and vegetables. It could can be canned. It could can be dried. It does not have to be organic. So it could be done very economically. Mm -hmm. Stock their kitchen with colors, and then it's just easier to eat more color in your week. And this is really the power of eating well. So that when you look at your plate, you want two thirds of your plate to have foods that come from plants, and just one third of the plate with foods that come from animals. So this is what we call a predominantly plant-based way of eating. It's not vegetarian. But it's closer to a vegetarian than the typical American diet where it's very meat-centric. And then we plan every meal around our meats. And this is saying, no, plan your meal around your plant foods and your colors and use your meat as a condiment. Hmm. And then it puts your overall eating pattern into a beautiful alignment of a very high phytonutrient content, high fiber, low added sugar, lower in salt, lower in saturated fats. And it just aligns your diet beautifully to support your body and it's really to reduce inflammation, stabilize blood glucose levels, normalize insulin levels, which we you know know is really important for prevention of cancer and also prevention of cancer recurrence.
1: Hmm. And where do you put dairy products in that though? Are those considered animal based?
2: Yes, it is. Really,
1: it's, so even cheese.
2: Chee- you hit a big one you hit a big one with cheese because uh, cheese is something that we uh,
1: delicious cheese is delicious
2: <laughs> but needs to be trimmed back a bit uh-huh yeah you have to be mindful with your cheese
1: and what about like yogurt kefir all those grains? all
2: that's all part of dairy which is all part of animal side of it so really? it has a role but it's a supporting role interesting and really your plant foods and your high fiber grains are your starring role well, what
1: uh, what differences do you notice in your patients who are successful in painting their rainbow and maintaining their rainbow? What what do you hear from them, and what do you what do you observe?
2: Uh, what I observe is uh, something quite remarkable to to watch. They change their relationship with food. Mm-hmm. They think about food in terms of colors. Uh, they say that they actually start to feel better. Their energy levels are better. And then it's always a by the way and and by the way, I lost weight, and they weren't even focusing on weight loss. Hmm.
1: that's interesting um what do you measure as a metric of success for your patients? In other words, how do you monitor that you need a different tack or
2: oh, uh, that's a that's a challenging question because it really
1: <laughs> sorry it
2: depends on the person. I'm
1: sure, and what their goals are,
2: what what their goals that, right? are. But um, to me, when I see that they take ownership mm-hmm. and make it their own, and I see that they're reading labels. Looking at ingredients lists and kind of come back with aha moments, saying, "Did you know how much added sugar is in a fruited yogurt?" I had no idea. When they start saying things like that, that's success.
1: Cool. And, and do you interact with the rest, the more medical, traditional medicine part of the survivorship clinic? How does that work?
2: Yes, we are a multidisciplinary team. So we have a medical oncologist, a physician assistant, social worker, and and a physical therapist, and we have a team meeting before each clinic, and we re- review the medical history of every patient. I see. As a group. As a group. Uh-huh. And then we regroup afterwards, and we all kind of um, review our interaction, which can be interesting. We all see different facets of the person.
1: So you each see the, the patient in general? I mean...
2: Yes. It's a two-hour clinic, so they spend a half hour with each of us. And then wow. at the end, we compile a uh, survivorship care plan, which incorporates nutrition and exercise tailored to the individual. Um, also, the social worker has her piece for it. And uh, and we develop a survivorship care plan, which maps out their um, goals going forward for monitoring their goals for wellness.
1: And are they monitored by your clinic or do they take this plan to their oncologist or internist or GYN?
2: Yes. We don't monitor them. Our clinic's a two-visit clinic, but then the care plan is what they take back to their team and to their primary care. And it summarizes all the treatment they've received all in one document. So it's a a very powerful document for cancer survivors to have.
1: Hmm. And um, I mean, it sounds like a great thing. Do you get a lot of positive feedback from the patients?
2: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh-huh. What about the exercise thing? That's another thing I wanted to talk about. You you said that uh, you counsel about exercise, and it's it's funny I hadn't really think, thought about nutritionists as being exercise counselors.
2: That's right. Well, you know, it goes hand in hand. They work synergistically. It makes sense. Yeah. So a healthy lifestyle is eating well and moving more. Mm-hmm. So, but they're very clear exercise guidelines, which are very attainable. And the first is sit less. <laughs> <laughs> take breaks from sitting uh that's job one so if you're at a computer all day that's a challenge
1: my watch tells me every hour that i haven't moved there you go And i look at it and say yeah i know <laughs> I'm supposed to get up then oh i see and... gotcha. oh i missed that part of the memo <laughs>
2: go take a little walk it's get, get some water to drink um And the next step is walking more, Mm -hmm. and the goal is 10,000 steps a day, which is a challenge. It's
1: hard. It
2: is hard. It is hard. So you start weaving it into your day, Um, parking farther away, taking stairs instead of the elevator. Sure. Always. And... If you, some people wear monitors on their wrist like a Fitbit, and that helps track um, their steps. Um, most it,
1: people's smartphones will do that, and yes. people don't even realize they—they they just have to install the app that lets them count it or find out where to do it. I know iPhones do, but I think most most um, Androids do as well.
2: Yes. So yes, you, your phones can count your steps. Now the next thing is uh, we like you to accumulate 150 minutes a week of walking, intentional walking. For the week. So you can do that in... You mean that's
1: separate from just walking around work? Yes. like It's, it's a... 10,000 steps plus
2: 150 minutes? Uh-huh. So... Uh, You're tough. I am tough. It just shows how sedentary we are.
1: Yeah. That's 30 minutes a day times five.
2: Exactly. Now, well, for some cancer survivors, they have low energy days. So on those days, maybe a walk isn't in the picture, but that's the beauty of having a weekly goal Because you could say, "Okay, today is not my day, but tomorrow um, I'll feel more energy and I'll walk 20 minutes." Mm -hmm. And and so you add it up as you go along. And some people even enlist walking buddies Mm -hmm. um, at work who say, "Okay, lunchtime, let's go."
1: That's a chick thing, I think.
2: Very much so.
1: Which is you sad. guys should try it. We should. We are so <laughs> limited. You know, my wife is always like, Why don't you have friends? It's like, Well, guys don't have friends. I mean, it's sick. It's right. It's it's so sick. Well, you get good chat sessions <laughs> while you do that. I bet. Yeah. I bet. And you could probably talk about work if it's a work companion if you want.
2: You can. Right. So you can do a walk and talk meeting.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's true. Now, there's more. Uh oh. Yeah. Um, so I'm
1: exhausted this- <laughs> already.
2: <laughs> so, uh, we like to see two strength training sessions a week. Mm. No, nothing – doesn't mean going in the gym and pumping iron. No. Something you could do at home very easily with uh, lightweights, three pounds, five pounds. But Get out we, your old
1: Jane Fonda tapes.
2: You, oh, I love those.
1: <laughs> You're Woo! dating me. I go back dating then. Dating me.
2: <laughs> um, but, you know, cancer treatments can um, – create muscle loss.
1: Yes, of course, yeah.
2: So part of the fatigue that lingers after treatment um, is from that loss of muscle. So the strength training can help rebuild and restore some of that muscle loss and also help with balance. Um, And all this exercise also helps boost the immune system. So it's quite powerful.
1: You know, it's so interesting because I I have a lot of patients who, uh, you know, complain about fatigue and and it's not cancer-related, as far as I can tell. And of course, they have moderate obesity, at least, and they're sedentary. And, you know, maybe they has some sleep disorder as well. And, you know, they don't want to hear it's hard, you know, you say, well, you know, unfortunately, probably carrying around that extra weight is contributing. And, you know, uh, it, it's frustrating as a practitioner, because we do focus on the cancer as oncologists, right? And, uh And they really need a continuity kind of person who can shepherd the lifestyle change. They need the motivation as well.
2: Absolutely. I would love to see that be the model
1: in the cancer I guess I should send them to your clinic.
2: Please do. We're all welcome. Yeah. Yeah. And we do break those – we break it down for the person into doable goals. Right. So when they leave the clinic, they're feeling, I can do this. And then we build upon those successes. So uh, we we, um, we really work hard to make the person feel like they can do this and make it work for them in very achievable small steps that build into big gains.
1: What about family support? Do you try to engage family members?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, a lot of people come with family members. And it's important because, again, from a dietitian's viewpoint uh, – In their household, who's in charge of the food shopping? Mm -hmm. Who's in charge of the cooking? Sometimes it's not the patient. Sure. So you need that other person there to kind of everyone, so everyone can be on the same page.
1: I imagine it's also hard if everybody else is leading X lifestyle and you're trying to lead Y lifestyle. You're, it's a little bit of an uphill battle, not only in terms of food but also exercise.
2: That's a a big challenge, and uh, what we try to encourage patients to do is uh, say, you know, start with yourself. Mm -hmm. Focus on yourself. This is all learning how to practice self-care. And then you're setting an example. And when those around you see you feeling better, see you doing more, see you being more active, they may start buying into it. So you can become the agent of change.
1: But it's a lot of responsibility for the person who's just recovering from cancer, right?
2: It is. So they need a lot of support and encouragement.
1: I guess on the other hand, maybe it makes them feel, some people anyway, like this is something positive that's coming out of this, you know, terrible thing that they've had to endure. It's not always terrible, but I mean, you know.
2: Well, I mean, many people can find that the the cancer diagnosis and the treatment can become a teachable moment.
1: Right, exactly.
2: Um, where they start reprioritizing what's things. What's important. What's important and... Often they find it's the, it gives them the opportunity to give themselves permission to make these changes that they've been meaning to, been wanting to, but never quite got around to doing it, and now they're motivated.
1: Kind of a reboot.
2: It is a reboot. And I've had many people who've come through survivorship clinic after they've adopted these dietary changes and exercise and say, I've never been healthier. How crazy is that? I had a cancer diagnosis, and I'm healthier now than I was before.
0: Maura Harrigan is an oncology research registered dietitian and project manager at the Yale School of Public Health. If you have questions, the address is yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.